Hello fellow pilots and other podcast listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. Today, we will be discussing broadly what has been going on at the MEC over the last few weeks, what you may expect to see in the near term, and some hot topics. A kind of state of the union, if you will. With me today are MEC Chairman Captain Will McQuillan, MEC Vice Chairman Captain Keith Lewis, Negotiating Committee Chairman First Officer Chris Gruner, and Strategic Planning Chairman Captain Ronan O'Donohue. So Will, did I more or less convey your intent for this episode? Yeah, thanks, David, very much. I think maybe you described it a bit more formally than uh, I envisioned it, but I just thought there might be some value in having uh, as often as we can, but, uh, you know, approximately monthly conversations around the hot topics uh, that are, you know, obviously on pilots' minds and to give them a little bit of a peek of the work that we're doing on their behalf here in the office that I think people just don't recognize day to day. So call it a State of the Union, call it what you want, but that's the intent. Great. Yeah, that's, that's really helpful. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Well, let's start talking about the opener document then. Chris? Yeah, so a couple of weeks ago now, we uh, sat down with the company and uh, handed them our opening document. So uh, we went through it in detail and then spent time answering questions to make sure uh, they fully understood what it was that uh, we were pushing across the table. And then uh, from there, we moved on and had uh, what I would characterize as constructive conversations regarding uh, just the framework of how we're going to move forward with the scheduling section. So uh, still remains to be seen how um, things will go once we start writing language and, and moving things along, but at least uh, it was a constructive uh, start, and uh, we'll see where it goes from here on. Yep. I, I would agree with you, Chris. I think that uh, we were able to walk through that opener, and there wasn't any uh, openly adverse reaction, and there wasn't a lot of... Uh, I think closed-mindedness, at least initially, to it. They they seemed willing to have the dialogue. They seem engaged. They asked a lot of the questions, and we're able to get, uh, I think, a constructive dialogue going, which will help us move forward. It, at least, uh, I was encouraged by the initial reaction. Right. We made it clear that uh, what the pilots expect, you know, is increased flexibility, uh, days off, value of a day, all things we've been uh, attempting to negotiate for a long time, and it's uh, time to start moving these forward. Yep, and reinforce that narrative that we've already put forth in the previous podcast and certainly in our comms that uh, when it comes to this opener, it really is the pilot's opener. Um, all the issues that were identified and everything that went into uh, our opener is so highly reflective of what the pilots have uh, indicated that they need in their contract going forward. There's a, a lot of unity around uh, the goals that we're seeking. And well, can you just reiterate how we know that? Well, I've, obviously, we've uh, done surveys, the survey with a very, very high participation rate, and then the last round of polling, we've got polling that preceded that, of course. And then uh, the most important thing, all the outreach efforts that we've done, uh, coffee sits, uh, pilots talking to their reps, interacting with their reps, uh, who are their voices. Yeah, we've also had a lot of questions asking uh, if the company provided a set of openers. So, you know, back in May when we first sat down with them, they did provide a list of things that they'd like to discuss. Um, wasn't very specific, uh, but one thing that was encouraging on there was that uh, they didn't ask for any changes in either Section 27 or 28, so uh, insurance and retirement. So when we sat down with them again two weeks ago, we pressed them just to see if there's anything that they were planning on adding, and uh, they uh, said uh, that no, there was nothing uh, in addition to what they had previously given us. So as of now, um, 
Yeah, nothing on the uh, DDA plan or something along those lines that they're looking to uh, approach us with. Yeah, I was going to say exactly. Put it in plain language speak. 27 and 28 don't mean much to maybe to a lot of people who don't work with it every day. But um, the, candidly, the we pressed them directly on whether or not they uh, wanted to engage in a discussion in those sections, which would include the uh, the DB plan. And they've had the opportunity to uh, uh, articulate that they have an interest in it, and they've declined on two opportunities now, which is encouraging. I have a concern, as I'm sure many of our pilots do, that while management says that now, they may change their mind. It's been an issue in every negotiation so far. So if they do change their mind, what's the plan? Well, this isn't a concessionary contract, so we have no uh, interest in giving up uh, things that are important to pilots, and that's definitely uh, one of them. And something that was thoroughly bargained previously in a, in a prior contract, not applicable. Keith, what's the MEC's position on this? Yeah, the MEC has discussed this topic, and we're in lockstep. Um, you know, the MEC is not interested in a concessionary contract or concessionary talks at all. Uh, we will protect and defend all of our benefits for this pilot group. So another relatively big change in the last few weeks is some senior management changes. What do you read into that, Will? I don't know if we really know what we read into it uh, necessarily at this point. Certainly there's a lot of people trying to armchair quarterback what the changes mean. Um, and, you know, the MEC has, has had a discussion around it as well. I, I suppose maybe we should recap those changes just for, you know, the employees who don't open their Outlook email. And I know there's a lot of them um, that they recently moved uh, Minakuchi into the role as just the president of Alaska Airlines and brought on uh, Gary Beck kind of a familiar name is to uh, assume the role of the chief operating officer. And Will, you know, he's worked with the pilots before. He was a VP of flight ops years ago. Do you remember working with him back then? And is there any, I don't know, does it give you any hope about the future or is it just more of the same? What, what What's your take? I, I would say that to some degree, it's it's promising if you want to judge things based on on history. Um, he, in the role of uh, the VP of Flight Ops, you know, was always willing to have a very candid discussion about things. Disagree when you disagreed, um, and tell you where he could meet you halfway. I mean, he was he was into problem solving and willing to have hard discussions and tell you when you flat out couldn't uh, couldn't see eye to eye. He didn't try to talk you into the into the ground with rhetoric and that sort of thing. The first thing he did in assuming this new role was um, put out a, a call for a meeting um, between the officers and himself and Jenny Wetzel, who is the uh, vice president of labor, and to have a very candid discussion um, about what's wrong, what needs fixing, what's frustrating to the pilots, um, you know, operationally, philosophically. It was it was a good, uh, very candid discussion. They took a lot of notes. Uh, for what that's worth. That, those discussions have been had many, many times before, but uh, in, in this case, they seem to be actively listening. So I guess we'll see. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, they could come and take as many notes as they want, but until they turn those notes into actions and improvements for this pilot group, uh, you know, the, the jury's still out. Yep. No, I, I completely agree. I don't want to come across as being overly optimistic either, because we've been down this road many, many times before. But uh, 
I, I would say that uh, at least the discussion was productive. And I think at the end of the day, we all recognize that it's not Beck's call. Correct. Yeah, it's interesting. I think um, uh, whether it was uh, John Wrigley or Scott Mocha, somebody had pulled up the, the org chart, and the org chart still has one big line underneath it, and everybody reports to one person. So Right. Yeah, until they recognize that you know, the business model and the culture need to work hand in hand, then uh, you know, we're going to have problems, I guess. Absolutely, Chris. I agree with you 100%. Well, and perhaps one of the biggest things in the news lately is the new system-wide position bid. Yeah, certainly. It, it certainly raised a lot of eyebrows, of, uh, mostly because it's the first um, reduction bid that we've seen here in a long time. And, uh, you know, I think that that obviously creates a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress for the pilot group and not uh, understanding how it's going to impact them or possibly could impact them. And, you know, un- unfortunately, it's just another business decision that has created anxiety just in time for the holidays. We've looked at this bid and we've, we've um, you know, tried to make sure that we, guys really understand what it is that they're looking at in this bid. And I know that you want to um, further explain the process that 24 runs you through and to make sure that guys are bidding correctly. But the only thing that I would add is that I think it's really, really important that guys do um, get in front of this and do make sure that they have a bid on file. And we, we use the term protective bid, but I think our defensive bid, and I think that's an accurate um, description of what they have to do, is just to make sure that they, they, keep, um, they keep themselves protected from a seat loss, if possible, and then from the base that they may desire. And I think it's really important that they do that. So. I just want to punctuate a couple of things that Ronan said. Is that yeah. as the former membership chairman, I've seen these bids. They used to occasionally do reductions here and there. Important thing to remember is that for every voluntary bid out of a base that's being reduced, you're negating the need for one of the reductions. And it, so it is quite likely that just plain old pilot bidding behavior is going to mitigate, negate, um, any need for involuntary reductions, which is what creates the anxiety. So Section 24 is built well to, in that regard that we satisfy all the vacancies first. We award the vacancies in seniority order, and then you look at the end to see if there's any unresolved or residual uh, reductions that are required. And as Ronan said, the most important thing that you do in any reduction bid is just control your future. Um, the, the contract is written um, as a piece of language that if you didn't have an adequate bid on file, um, it would determine where you would be handled and how you would be reduced. Um, it's written to mitigate company training costs, to be perfectly honest with you. And, uh, you know, you need to protect your interests and bid what you want and make sure that, that you know, proofread that bid and make sure that it reflects how you'd like to be handled in whatever the event is that you may or may not be uh, involuntarily reduced. Ronan, I've heard a few questions. Is, is, and let me ask it this way. Is there any benefit to not putting a bid in? No. No, there's really not. I've had several calls from David with people who wanted to um, answer questions that were a little deeper than what this is. And frankly, no. I, d- I don't see a scenario here where not bidding um, will protect you. And I've heard some pretty creative ones, um, which once we kind of walked them through, they really weren't, um, they weren't, they were not things that would work out for guys. So frankly, no, I, I don't see it. Um, and I think ever to 
not have a defensive bid on file is just a bad idea. Yep, we've said uh, many, many times, you know, control your own fate, choose your own fate. That's always been the mantra uh, to make sure that you are protected in any kind of a reduction bid. And, uh, you know, proofread your bid, be very, very careful. I think I'd say some of the questions that I've seen that parallel um, Ronin's are have to do with like uh, equipment freezes and whether or not uh, people are still bound to an equipment freeze. I think to be extremely clear that just because your base is being reduced does not alleviate an existing equipment freeze that you may be under. But if you are actually involuntarily reduced to another piece of equipment, you would not be frozen. And the contract's pretty clear on that. And by involuntarily reduced, meaning that your first bid is your current position uh, in your current base, and then you're unable to hold it. Yeah, and maybe explain the difference between having a bid on file and having a bid award versus being displaced. Well, yeah, Section 24 is not intuitive. Just because they have reductions posted in a base doesn't mean that that is the number of pilots who will be reduced. Uh, Section 24 of the award process speaks to awarding vacancies first, you know, pilot behavior in seniority order, as people bid for what they want, um, and then reductions being handled subsequently last. So every pilot bid, for instance, in these two bases that have reductions posted that actively bid away, every San Francisco, San Francisco captain or LA Airbus captain who actively bids away satisfies a reduction. And in the end, if 10 in each base do that, there'll be absolutely no need for an actual involuntary reduction. Does that make sense? Yes. But just to be clear, if I'm reduced into something of my choice, that is not an award. It's still a reduction, which would provide all the contractual provisions of being reduced. Correct? Right, yeah. To, to be reduced is to not be able to hold your current position. So your first bid is your current position, seat, and domicile, and then you actively cannot, when reductions come around, you actively cannot hold that current position. At that point, then you have been reduced, and it is in, incredibly in your best interests to have, uh, we always call it, you know, a will on file. How do you want to be handled in that regard? And I would assume that most people would want to protect their paychecks if they were captains as well. And in the event that you don't have a bid on file, there's language in Section 24 that governs. It's um, written primarily to mitigate employee or employee company um, training costs. And so it may not take you for a ride around the system in any way, shape, or form that you want. Uh, it's such a simple thing. Go in, put a bid on file, proofread that bid very, very carefully, and keep a copy of it. I think one of the things that's really, really important here is guys understand the distinction or the difference between displaced and downgraded and red circle language. A lot of people seem to think if they're displaced from LA-320 captain to LA Boeing-737 captain, that red circle language jumps in to protect them. It absolutely does not. Red circle is a function of the SLI. It was part of the conditions and restrictions, and it strictly speaks to captain to first officer displacement. And in order for that to happen, a lot of things have to go really, really far south in order for guys to um, to try and use that red circle to protect themselves. So that's going back to your earlier question about not bidding. Some of the stuff that I've heard is, well, what if I don't put a bid on file? Well, if you don't put a bid on file, Section 24E6 will displace you to another captain's seat. 
But who wants to be displaced to somewhere they don't want to be? Why not bid something that you want? Because as a displaced captain, you have additional rights in that bid. And, you know, anybody who doesn't understand them needs to read them. But you actually have the right of displacement at that point to a junior pilot. So you want to make sure that you're really protecting yourself and you really know what's going on with that um, language and to make sure. But as regards anybody thinking that gaming something with a red circle, there's just no, there's nothing in this, um, this bid that would cause that. Yeah, I think since you brought it up, Ronan, one thing that bears uh, maybe explanation for those who are unfamiliar is the the definition. It is part, as as you said, it's part of the uh, conditions and restrictions of the awarded uh, integrated seniority list. The definition being captains who uh, either held the position or awarded the position prior to, I believe it was uh, December 1st of 2018. So there's been obviously upgrades since then, a fairly large number of them, as a matter of fact. So there's actually a pretty good chance that a lot of people looking at this bid or seeing themselves in the eye of reductions are not technically uh, red circle captains or that this language doesn't apply to them. Right. Well, that's the point that I I'm, I'm really want to drive home is that just because you're reduced, it does not put you back into a first officer seat. Guys need to really, really realize the rights that they have as reduced pilots and then, you know, what they can do with that. And that's one of the most important reasons that they put on a bid list what they want. So they end up where they want. Yeah, and I would agree with you that the path to the uh, the involuntary path to the right seat uh, is is a long stretch on this bid, especially with as much growth as there. One other caution we're talking about for this or really any bid is the uh, base position qualifier. Yeah, a- absolutely. I mean... Um, when I stress the importance of uh, bid what you want, want what you bid, proofread your bid. This is where we see like the greatest number of mistakes um, historically because a base position qualifier is simply put the, the minimum position on the base position list at which you'd be willing to accept that award. So if you said that you're willing to bid Seattle BP 300, it means I'm willing to be a Seattle captain, whatever in this case, if I can hold it at 300 or better. But with the mistake that we frequently see on that is that people will put a mistake it as their first, second, third, and fourth choice. And so that's a very, very different animal when you say Seattle BP 1. That means that you'll only hold it if you can be number one or better. And we have seen people actively downgrade themselves by misunderstanding this qualifier. Proofread your bid. Exactly. And I, I mean, really, except for a very few occasions, you're probably better off not putting a qualifier in at all. I, but if you do, make sure you understand what you're saying. Yeah, you're, you're, you're talking for. to the guy who did uh, six extra months in a base because he missed his qualifier by one and regretted it. So, oh, really? Yes, exactly. Uh, so you know. Yes, exactly. <laughs> think, think globally when you uh, use a qualifier, not microscopically. So with this reduction bid, is, is there any value in trying to read in a fleet decision? Uh, you know... I, Absolutely not. Um, from what the company is telling us, um, you know, they're just making a, a business decision and um, 
leveling out their their block hours with with their where the aircraft are, are flying now. So that's that's what management is telling us, and they've uh, showed the numbers to the scheduling committee. So uh, we have no information that that says that uh, they have a fleet decision or that this. Um, new bid is an indication of, of what's to come. We just simply don't have an answer to that right now. Yeah, and I think that's true. And we can see the, uh, the our, I should say, our scheduling committees can actually see the block hour shift that tends to follow the math that Scott Day put out uh, as far as how block hours are shifting and fleet realignment and that sort of thing. Um, the, you know, anything, I guess that's certainly a hot topic around here too, is what do we know about fleet decisions? It's just simply that they're targeting a fleet decision for quarter one next year. Well, the reduction bid has been a hot topic. Another hot topic is the uniform. What's, what's new with that? Uh, in one word, not much. I guess that's two words. Uh, at any rate, the uh, since the um, company made the decision to uh, rescind the mandate to go get fitted and uh, we subsequently withdrew the lawsuit, there have only been a couple of passing comments um, from management that they say that they would like to continue the discussion, they'd like to discuss, they know that they need to discuss the uniform with us, but uh, there has been no formal outreach, no dates set, and no discussions actually um, at the table regarding the, the subject at all. The uniform on your back is the uniform at the moment. Yeah, the negotiating committee is uh, is and remains open to uh, discussing the topic with the, uh, the company. So the MEC, you know, approved an LOA which addresses the pilot's concerns. We still have not received a response, like Will said, and uh, we're not shutting down the conversation. We're just waiting for them to address the concerns as the current contract requires. As well, another topic that often comes up is the status of grievances. Talk about that a little bit. How, how many do we have right now? What's going on with the process? Yeah, okay, and I, I certainly interpret that to mean the pre-grievances, like when pilots file complaints. That's right. right. Yeah, yeah I, right. I misspoke. <clears throat> oh, no. No, and that's a very valid point because it's a pain point for the pilots when you have a, a complaint on file, a grievance on file, and you just hear nothing back. Uh, right now, the number of pre-grievances filed is actually at an all-time high. Um, when they do meet to address them, the meetings are actually somewhat productive. It's just the sheer volume. There need to be more meetings on the books in order to, to address them. Um, I know that uh, Secretary Wrigley you know, took some time to actually go and articulate uh, a number of the complaints and pain points and grievances to uh, the VP of Labor. Jenny Wetzel the other day. Hopefully that'll advance, uh, you know, advance the ball and get a few more meetings on the books. You mentioned there's a, a, uh, a lot of them. What are you doing to expedite this process and get as many through as you can? Yeah, and some of the more difficult issues, we've advanced them to mediation. So the grievance committee and uh, representatives of the scheduling committee and the negotiating committee have uh, sat down and with a mediator and, and tried to work through some of those. So, Will, how many pre-grievances are out right now? Uh, it's a little bit of an awkward number, if you will. It's a, because it's an all-time high. Uh, we're at 666 on file as of today, which I think uh, speaks to a number of things. Uh, obviously, our ongoing frustration 
that there are contractual violations happening day in, day out um, at all levels. You know, in particular, we've seen a spike in issues around training and certainly the ongoing issues with, uh, with scheduling, but pilots are aware and they're filing, which is good. That's the good part. Um, there's also an issue at hand as far as addressing these and getting them resolved in a more timely manner with, uh, with resources. We just simply, the company has constrained resources to address them. Uh, when we do meet, it's productive. They've been able to address uh, things you know, uh, fairly aggressively, um, but we're, we're resource constrained. Yeah, and you know what would help the company address this number of grievances is to follow the contract. Hey, there's the punchline. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know we you, you hear it from us a lot. Know the contract and protect the contract, and or defend the contract, and and pilots are doing that. They're aware of when their contract is being violated, and they're filing grievances so that it gets protected. This language is it's only valuable if it's followed by both sides, and so we need to hold management accountable when they're not doing that. Yep, absolutely. And I realize it's a simple process and it can bear fruit, uh, certainly. And even if you are you know, not necessarily successful in your grievance, it brings to light issues that need to be addressed. Will, what can you tell us is going on with KCM? I know I did a trip uh, a couple weeks ago and three out of the, I'm sorry, two out of the three times I went through KCM, I got randomly uh, assigned to go through extra security screening. So you're saying random doesn't feel like random? Not, not exactly. Yeah. It, your frustrations are well echoed, not just by our pilot group, but by all the pilot groups at ALPA. Um, it was about a month ago at executive board where I and all the other chairmen from, um, from the other ALPA represented airlines were there. We had the opportunity to uh, interact with, speak with, I should say, have very candid conversations with the uh, TSA administrator, the acting administrator. And that message was delivered absolutely loud and clear that the current situation is not working and that things need to be changed. And as I just said, that, that conversation, unfortunately, is a month stale now and things don't seem to be getting better. Um, there have been a couple of conference calls on the matter and uh, the Alpha president, Joe DePete, talked to me earlier this week as well as the other chairman but he called me up to discuss they have very active plans to uh, to address it and and call the issue out yeah it's good to hear you know ronan and i were at the national strategic planning um, and strike preparation meeting um, and there were maybe 40 of us in a room and the question was asked how many of you have been randomly selected for additional screening and every hand went up and just in the last few weeks, you know, that's so it seems like it's not working quite like. Yeah, it, it's, it's almost it's almost not worth the time anymore. Right. Well, here's a hot topic. The E-195 came through town not too long ago for a, a little tour, and that's created a lot of discussion. What can we read into that? Oh, I know it created discussion. There are pictures of it actually in our hangar as a matter of fact, that, that have been passed along. I mean, scope has always been a, a very um, active discussion, and it's certainly a priority. The pilots have indicated that very loudly and strongly um, in the, the polling and the surveys. Uh, as far as the actual 195 being in town, you know, I, I think that they have said you know, on numerous occasions that they consider that airplane to be a mainline aircraft to be flown by Alaska Airlines pilots and uh, they said it at flight path and side by conversations they've certainly said it to us as well and then uh, well I they've said it in uh, fourth stripe dinners as well right Ronan 
absolutely. I attended one in um, early October, and uh, Tilda made it very clear that that was a mainline airplane and would be uh, flown by Alaska Airlines pilots should it ever hit the property. Yeah, and we hear that word scope being used pretty broadly. Um, I mean, you can make that mean whatever you want, but what we expect is industry standard scope. I mean, there is a broad application of appropriate scope proposals across the industry, and we are not just, this isn't something that, you know, so some people don't have, like we are in a large way an outlier on this, and the only airline anywhere in our peer group that doesn't have anything approaching uh, some sort of a industry standard. Yeah, we, we can't simply take their word for that they're going to honor industry uh, scope, and they've showed already that they're willing to violate it, as, as Chris pointed out earlier, with the 86,000-pound um, normal going up to 89,000 uh, with some of the Horizon E-175s. Yeah, we think it would be a gesture of good faith and uh, something that would certainly inspire uh, more confidence in the pilot group if they'd be open to addressing a standstill of 76 seats and uh, 86,000 pounds. So with the arbitration uh, decision that was uh, handed down to us, part of the reason the arbitrator didn't address scope was because he said the company was voluntarily holding themselves to the industry norms of 76 seats and 86,000 pounds. We've already seen the company go outside of that with 89,000 pound aircraft at Horizon. We believe that anything that 76 seats and 86,000 pounds is the standard and that scope is something that needs to be uh, negotiated and not just unilaterally addressed. All right, well, let's turn our attention to what's happening in the next few weeks. Starting with you, Chris, what can we expect out of your committee? Uh, We're sitting down at the table with the company again and we'll be presenting a uh, full language scope proposal. Also continue our work on scheduling and other uh, ancillary items. And then the third week in December, we'll address retirement and insurance proposals. Uh, It's the ones that we laid out in the opener. Ronan, what's coming up in your world? Um, Well, we're going to reconvene the NST, the negotiation support team, to basically take a look back and almost use it as a as a report card. Because at that point, at this point, at the end of December, we'll have been negotiating for six months. And at the very start of this process, we released the executive summary of the strat plan, the strategic plan, and we feel like it's a good opportunity or it's a good point, a marker to take a look back and to see how we've done and to see basically what the report card is. Um, do we need to do anything different or you know, take a look at it with fresh eyes going into the first part of 2020? We are going to convene in early January, um, get a, the steering committee back again that made up that strategic plan and get everybody back in one room again for a few days and before the MEC meeting and be prepared to present our findings to the MEC. There's a lengthy meeting, actually. I think it's a five-day meeting in mid-January with the entire MEC. So as strategic as a strategic body, we want to be prepared for that and make sure that we have a review of the, the um, strat plan done by that point and basically present our findings to the MEC with some advice on where to move forward. So it's going to be a very busy uh, next month or so um, with, with that review. The other stuff that I'm going to have happening as well is we're going to continue to evaluate um, pub events or sits. Uh, 
and pubs meaning pilot unity building events. They've been very successful and they've been, you know, they've been kind of a two-way um, communication, a really, really successful method of doing that. Not only are we hearing from the pilots, but we're also able to give the pilots some straight talk of um, what's going on and to basically address their individual concerns. I would highly encourage people to continue to try to attend those events. I know it's uh, it's your day off or it's, you know, it may not be always convenient, but you know, we cannot stress to you how important it is that you guys are involved, stay involved, stay educated and stay informed. That's basically all we're asking you to do right now. So it's really not that difficult to um, to come out and to meet your your officers, your negotiating team and your, your base reps. But just keep an eye on your emails and keep an eye on your um, anything that we have coming out announcing these things. We, we try to do textcasters as well to let them folks know when they're happening and whether it's your base or whether it's not your base if there's an event in any base um all are welcome to join and come over and uh, just chat with your elected representatives so but that's kind of where i'm at right now david thank you yeah and you know along those lines we're also continuing to build up the family awareness program lisa booker is the chair and uh, she's been doing a good job of getting volunteers and That'll become a more active committee and play a bigger role as we get closer to the uh, a, a TA. And you know, we we talk about what we're negotiating as the pilot's contract, but it's our entire families that live under it. So it's important that they're informed and engaged as well. And the family awareness program will help to do that. All right, Will, what's what's happening in your wheelhouse next month as the MEC chairman? Uh, it's it's another busy month, kind of like Ronan alluded to. I'm a, a party to all those discussions as well. But uh, we'll be convening a, a meeting of the Labor Coalition. We do this uh, quarterly where we get together with the leaders of all of the uh, the unions here on property at Alaska Airlines. And we have, uh, you know, good conversations around our mutual goals and our frustrations and, and things that we want to see achieved. Uh, that happens in mid-December. Um, in addition, we've got uh, the ongoing audit. I guess most pilots are not aware of that, but uh, one of the things that our FOQA team has been doing and doing very well is going through and auditing uh, the data that are coming off of our jets and making sure that everything that's happening uh, in those data streams is Section 30 compliant with the CBA. So we'll have another one of those meetings. Um, that's a very, very important meeting. The, the privacy of that data is absolutely critical to every pilot here at Alaska. Um, and then likewise, we'll have meetings around the return to service for the MAX. Uh, we, I get updates on a regular basis from uh, our local um, committee members who are, are tracking that project and are involved actually at the national level. And then likewise, uh, at the national level, there's uh, regular conference calls around that. At this point, I think the next pivot point really in that discussion is going to be seeing when the uh, the AD for return to service is issued and making sure that it meets with ALPA's comfort level. And Chris, we, we heard from you about you know, the negotiating committee, but also by now the pilots should have had a chance to read your first article on scheduling and you've got a number of those upcoming. You want to talk more about that for a minute? Yeah, so we want to continue to make sure that we're fully explaining uh, what it is we're, we're doing in response to your expectations. So to that end, uh, started releasing the scheduling articles. We're going to have one out every week between now and the end of the year to hopefully uh, provide more clarity on how we're approaching the scheduling section in particular. 
additionally, we also are, have been working on the uh, frequently asked questions and keeping those updated. So uh, the idea there is uh, you may not see your particular question, but it should be encompassed right in, in one of the ones that's on there or, or part of it. So to the extent that you're not seeing the answers that, uh, that you need, then make sure you reach out to us or your uh, representatives. We're not trying to hide anything, so that's not what that's about. So I want to get that out of the, the way right away. We want to make sure we're fully answering everybody's questions. Yeah, and I'll say it's a bit of a workload. A lot have come in over the last couple of weeks, and so you're busy with the normal um, requirements to work as a negotiating committee. And so the I have, I've watched you guys work to get as many out as you can, and so they'll be coming out on a weekly basis as well. And hopefully in the not-too-distant future, we'll have most of them answered. Yep, and we are committed to being uh, responsive to those. So. Yeah, and that was part of the driver, too, behind doing the all-pilot call, was to try and, and answer a lot of those, get direct feedback from the pilots, and, and hopefully give us a little breathing room to get ahead of the FAQs, which are closely mirrored to what was said on the pilot all-call. Right. And if you have any questions as, as uh, the days go by, remember, it's uh, contract2020questions at apple.org. All right. Well, we're just about finished. Before I wrap it up, does anyone have any final thoughts? Yeah, I think one, one of the things I'd like to just throw out there before we close, David, is we really have been working hard to reach our membership. We've, we actually even just opened up a new process there, which hasn't been done in a very long time, at least not in my time, on the, the Alaska Airlines uh, Alpa Group which was the open pilot call last week, which was very successful. We had a very large number for our first call. And I think we pretty much got to the majority of the questions. I can't possibly emphasize how important it is that we continue to do this from our perspective and also from the perspective of the pilots. I hear back over and over again that guys are very happy that we are approachable and we're reachable. But that's a two-way street. So I would just plead that guys continue to stay involved Continue to come to events. Continue to reach out to us. There's never a time that um, I know that I, I have never let a. I will challenge anybody to ever come up with a time that I let a phone call go more than twelve hours and I didn't answer it. Um, I normally respond to you within minutes. So we want to hear from everybody, but we also want you to stay involved because this contract is about you and you are the horsepower under the engine. So it's so so critical that you turn up to events. You wear your lanyard. You wear your unity pin proudly as an Alpha pilot and uh, represent your pilot group because every one of us has a, has a piece in this. So thanks, David. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank, thank you, Ronan. Will, do you have any closing thoughts? Boy, Ronan certainly hit the, uh, the high points there, and that is, I can't say enough, stay involved, stay informed. Uh, we are moving into the areas of the, the contract that matter the most to the pilots, hence the, the term cornerstone issues, and we really need your involvement, your education, uh, and your feedback. And uh, to echo that, uh, that really you are the wind in the sails of the negotiating committee. And if the pilots are involved, it's noticeable, it really lends power to the negotiating process, and if we are to achieve the contract that the pilots deserve, it's going to require that involvement of each and every pilot. Yeah, I just want to say a huge thank you again to uh, all, of, all of you for all the support and your engagement that you've had in this process. Again, we, we're here to follow your direction, and it's just great to see people engaged and involved and uh, letting us know what's important to you.
You know, and one other thing I think that I would add, David, too, is always this idea of uh, mentorship. Continue to exchange ideas, talk to your coworkers. We're really starting to see now with the, the cross-bidding, and we've got, you know, people from different perspectives, different backgrounds. Everybody's having time together on overnights. Start to exchange those ideas, continue to talk, um, and we will all be stronger together. Be excellent to one another. All right. Will, thanks for setting this up, and thanks all of you for coming in today. Thank you, David. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having us, David. Thank you, David. And I'd like to thank all of you for listening. Staying informed is, as you heard earlier, a very important part of being successful in these next negotiations. So we'll try to do some more of these uh, State of the Union podcasts, assuming that the MEC has the bandwidth for that in, in the future. Yep, certainly workload permitting. Uh, I'm absolutely up for it. I guess if that's what we're going to call it now, it has an official name, but we'll uh, we'll commit to doing that. We want to keep you informed. That's that's the MEC's goal. All right. Well, again, thank you for listening. This has been another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communication Chairman Captain David Campbell. <laughs>